Welcome to the Be Transformed podcast, where we're having ongoing digital discipleship conversations about when and where the kingdom and the culture collide. I'm excited today. Today we have a mental health check-in on the podcast. And so today we have two special guests, Annette and Maciel. Um, Annette, would you let us know what you do uh, for a living? What is your vocation? So during the day, I am a school counselor at an elementary school. And then in the evening, I'm a family therapist that I work with youth, generally from ages eight to 18. Or uh, sometimes I also work with families for family counseling. Maciel, what do you do uh, for vocation? Um, I work for Child Protective Services in New Jersey, formerly known as DIFUS, now called DCPMP. Okay. So I'm excited to have you guys on, or you ladies, I should say, um, because I want to ask you a really direct question, and I know that you deal with a lot of dysfunction and a lot of brokenness, and one of the things that I've seen with dysfunction is that it always seeks validation or legitimization. And so, um, you guys are Christians, right? So you're spirit-filled, Holy Ghost Christians, and so there's you're seeing things through a bunch of different lenses. You're seeing things through faith. You're seeing things through experience. You're seeing things through uh, the disciplines that you have grown in, that you apply as you speak to people and investigate situations. So if someone comes to you and they say, I'm depressed, based on your discipline, Annette, how do you respond to that? So I always want to do safety planning, so I want to make sure that there is no suicidal ideation, no self-harm. So that's that's like probably the first thing that I'm going to do, just double check, making sure like um, what are their thoughts, how do they feel, what do they say or tend to do when they're feeling like they're in a crisis. Um, who are their support systems? Like, who are the three people that they can definitely go to when they feel like they are really down? And then um, their coping strategies. So we're going to focus on those. What are you doing when you're feeling this way? Um, and then, you know, that's the, safe, that's the safety planning. But and then we're going to dig into processing. And with that, we're going to try to find out why are you depressed? Has there been any recent changes? Um, how long have you been feeling this way? What other emotions are you feeling along with it? Um, a lot of questions. Cool. So that's that's a lot. That's a that's a whole um, sermon there. But that's that's awesome. So, Maciel, how do you like? Because you're doing for your job, it's more investigative right correct so then you're not really necessarily having someone come to you and be like oh i'm depressed we do oh you do Mm -hmm. explain that like when someone comes to you or how do you how do you respond to that so it's in different ways so if we get um a referral right you call in a hotline you have an it's an investigation for abuse or neglect they could say you know mom was recently or dad was recently hospitalized for severe depression and that kind of corresponds with how do you keep your children safe in your house, right? Because if you're an adult and you're dealing with depression, suicidal ideations, or any other mental health, how are you properly caring for your children? So, so we do, you know, we do have that conversation. And sometimes when people are living in dysfunction and they live in a chaotic environment, they'll flat out tell you, I'm depressed and I just cannot do this anymore. Mm-hmm. So the same thing as Annette will assess if they're su- actively suicidal at that time. And then how does their mental health impact their children? And then you're the one of the determining factors that basically says you can or can't keep your children. Yes. So that's a really, really difficult job. I mean, that that is... I mean, that's... 
that's front lines. Like that's like yeah. Navy SEAL type status. Like that's it's, like really it's, difficult. It's chaotic. It's because, very chaotic. And also you really need discernment because it's like it's such a fine line of no, like your children need to be taken from you. Like that's the best thing for them or no, this can turn around, but there's needs to be some parameters for the turnaround to work and there's a bunch of variables and so it's just that's a really difficult job um so i appreciate you sharing that because for me for a long time i've i've felt like mental health to what cancer was to the previous generation mental health is to this generation and so i think that the church has to learn how to dialogue more on these matters and create safe uh, spaces for people to share, whether they're struggling, whether it's suicide, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety. And so I think that that's really, really, really important. And I say this is really important in in this context because what I feel uh, spiritually and what I sense is that in our generation, we're gonna pastor more people into the kingdom then we're going to evangelize them into the kingdom. So what I mean by that is the gospel, you know, is always to be preached, right? So we're going to Haiti right now. We'll stand in front of thousands of people and we'll preach the gospel. And I think that's amazing. And, and I love that. But most, most way, most of the, the most predominant way that people are coming into the kingdom is that they're finding themselves in a crisis whether it's a spiritual crisis, an economic crisis, uh, um, whether they're trying to get pregnant and it's not working, whether uh, you know they've been abused and they're trying to get free, um, financial hardships, whatever, there's something pressing on them that, that is so aggressive, it's bringing them to the feet of Jesus. So I, I want to, like as we continue to grow the church, the Lord grows the church, and we focus on growing the people, I want people to know, like, how do you respond if someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm really anxious, or hey, I'm really uh, afraid, or hey, I'm really depressed. Like, I would want to create a way in which people would know how to really respond to that with the wisdom of God and with some of the disciplines, whether it's, you know, pastoral care or um psychology whatever it is like for me for example if someone comes to me like a believer right if a believer is coming to me and saying well you know i'm i'm depressed right so my first my first gut thing is like well i'm really sorry to hear that like so for us we always want to start with compassion but then as soon as we we move out of that empathy and compassion i want to move into like okay let's get into why and if we're dealing with christians for example if you believe lies it's impossible for you to be free so we want to start to then address what are the belief systems what what are what is going on within the heart and the mind of the person because that'll determine if they're going to get free and stay free and that'll determine, like, are they serious? Are they humble enough to be accountable? Do, are they willing to go through the process? Like, do I want it for them more than they want it for them? Because if I want it for them more than they want it for them, they won't get free or stay free. You know, like, and Jesus was really clear about this. Like, he, sees that, he says, like, if you cast a demon out and, you know, it's a dry place, seven more demons will come. And what I found, I, I feel like sometimes when we're dealing with pastoral care or, you know, counseling or what you're doing, investigating counseling and uh, all that, like, you have to really see, like, is this person, do they really want to be well? And you see Jesus ask someone that, like, well, do you want to be well? So, so now let's just say someone comes to you and says, okay. I'm depressed about my family situation, right? How do you go about that, Masiel? Like, what, what do you do? Do you open up a case? How, how does that work? So when a referral comes in and we have, it's called intake workers, investigators, yep. they go out, they assess it, 
And sometimes it doesn't not end in removal. They just need the case to be open for monitoring so we can link them to whatever service, kind of guide them to the be there, support for them, guide them to the crisis. So if intake decides, okay, we can't close this case because this family does have a certain issue that they cannot figure it out on their own, they will transfer it to a different department. Um, and then that different department, which is called permanency, will monitor the case and kind of stabilize the family so that we can close it and hopefully they're stable and don't come back in gotcha. for another case. Gotcha. Annette, what, what do you, like, how does it look with when someone comes and they're like, I'm depressed, do you open a case? Like, how does that work? Mm-hmm. No. Like, professionally. Me, right. With me, it's um, therapy, so we're going to work. It's going to take work on their end. And like you said, it's going to take dedication. They really need to want to put in the work. And it could be very hurtful as you're processing why they might be depressed. So, you know, um, it's healing. Um, it's what I use something called CBT, so cognitive behavior therapy, and thought reframing. So in essence, it's renewing the mind and taking thoughts captive, right? But it's not in a Christian perspective, yeah, yeah. per se. But that's what you're doing. Yeah. You have to start taking control of your thoughts and changing the perspective. Yeah, it's like so, repentance, met- metanoia. Right. <laughs> so that's a process because, yep. uh, you know, with the help of the Holy Spirit, it could happen fairly quickly um, as, you know, I've seen even in my own life. But um, mo- most people, especially if you're not working with a person that's a believer, um, it's going to take some time and continual dedication on their end. So it's a process. So my job would basically refer someone to Annette, mm-hmm. right? Because we're it. dealing. See, with, this is great. This is this has really helped me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So because we're monitoring the situation, you know, what we do, what I do is I'm in the thick of it. I'm in the crisis mode. I'm here trying to establish immediate safety, but the ongoing, it's not like you're gonna need that extra support. So we would refer to agencies like where Annette works and kind of work with the therapist as well, like obtain what we call collaterals, like every month or every two months. Is there progress? You want to, you want to change. You have to want to change. And if you do not want to change, you're just going to repeat a vicious cycle, and you're not going to yeah. get anywhere. Yeah. So in, in essence, even the two ladies who are on the podcast are people who would work together toward breaking cycles of dysfunction and seeing people get healthy. Is that, yes. is that correct? Absolutely. So, hey, Annette, you mentioned that when the Holy Spirit is involved through your, doing your process is a lot faster. So you're saying in your experience you've had cases where it's with a Christian person and God's involved, and you, notice, you have a noticeable difference in the process between the two? I do, especially um, it's, it's not often that I get to work with Christian families, but I also do parent coaching. So when I work with the parents, I found that, you know, when they're Christian, you know, they're going to maybe do, they're going to be praying. They're going to, you know, actively be engaged with prayer and church. But it's still challenging when you're working with the parent, but and then the teenager is not Christian. So... You can feel, you know, the heartbreak for for the parent at the same time and empathize with them. Interesting. That's difficult because then you have people who are not on the same page. Mm -hmm. And that's really difficult to make a change. Usually I don't see it work. I I hate to say that. I sound I don't want to sound cynical, but. And even when in my job where you go into a crisis and they're a Christian family, there's a lot of barriers there. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of my most egregious cases I'm walking into a Christian home who's active in a church. Wow. And there is some stuff that is like, this is demonic. Mm-hmm. Wow. And they don't see it. Yeah. See, I'm, I'm really happy that you said that. So when I, when I listen, right, these are, these are, I guess, pastoral ears. When I listen to a situation, one of the things I'm trying to discern from the Holy Spirit is, is this demonic? Is this mental illness? Um, is this like generational stuff in the sense of is this learned behavior? Like, what am I? What am I dealing with? 
right? So if I bang my knee, it's not a it's not a demon, and I did something to injure myself. But one of the things I I I've taught people when they're praying for the sick is that if you're praying for the sick and the in in the pain, let's say, moves from the shoulder to the elbow, you're not praying for the sick. That's a spirit of infirmity. So I don't know if you've ever prayed for someone and their pain moved. That's not you're not that's not healing. That's that's demonic. That's that's a spirit of infirmity. It's it's, a, it's an afflicting spirit. So I, I I use that as an that example because like before you can really treat something, you need to know what is going on. And to me, I need the Holy Spirit for that. I can't do that in my own strength. And I find that that personally, I don't know how this works for you, ladies. But I really need to listen to someone for like at least one or two sessions to really determine what they're saying to me, how true it is. Because when people divulge information, many times they're not being forthright. When I, when I grew up, I grew up uh, in a church and the pastor, uh, his name was Jason Alvarez, he said something that I'm like, man, that's really wise. He says, there's two sides to every story and then there's the truth. <laughs> and so like when you're dealing with broken people, you may not be getting a whole situation because they're not whole. No. Exactly. So there's nothing whole about what they're saying. So so now I'm listening to you and I want to help you. Like, I, I mean, I've signed my life up to help you, but I cannot help you until we get a firm diagnosis of what is really actually wrong. Correct. And I, you know, I learned this in, in my own life physically. I had this pain in my back for a while and I went and I got an x-ray and they're like, there's nothing wrong with you. And I'm like, I feel like someone's stabbing me and I'm just, just thick headed and crazy. So I just live with this pain for like months. And then I said, you know what? Why don't I get an MRI? When I went to get an MRI, they were like, yeah, you have bulging discs in your back. Like, that's why you have that pain. And the x-ray was not able to see what the MRI could see. And sometimes you needed a separate set of eyes to see the situation. And so I, I just find that I think that you really need patience with counseling because sometimes to really have discernment, you need patience. When, when I was born, my grandparents, my grandfather, my mother's father, the day I was born, he planted a tree in uh, the house in Hackensack on Maple Hill Drive. And so he, 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 he planted this tree, it was significant of my life. And it's this beautiful tree in the spring. Um, but if you go and you look at the tree in the fall, it looks dead. And so sometimes I have, I have a picture in, in one of my, somewhere I have a picture of the tree in the fall where it's dead and the tree in the spring where it's beautiful. And I took the picture from the same place, reminding myself that sometimes you need patience to have discernment. Um, and I find that when you're dealing with broken people, if you don't have a little bit of patience, you may be quick to diagnose something and it's incorrect. And so that's why, like, I think it's really critical that people who want to get well are committed to the process and being consistent. Like, for example, I want to just ask you, uh, you ladies, like, generally speaking, Annette, when you open, let's say, a file or you begin to uh, treat another patient, how long, generally, do you work with that patient um, before either there's a significant there's significant progress or they quit like how does that so i'm working with youth um and families um generally they can get eight weeks now if i feel that the family is working and progressing towards goals and they need more time i and they're still in crisis we can do something called cmo so they can continue to work so that I I have I usually work with families for almost a year, a lot of times, um, or you know anywhere between three to six months, 
and I've been what doing is the this frequency for four years. once a week twice once a, a week. once a week mm-hmm. for a year sometimes I have families that I worked with for a year okay mm-hmm. up to a year um or more could be usually it's less than that. I okay. mean, like they generally want them to be done in eight weeks. Okay, so so this is okay. So then there is like a specific eight week program mm-hmm. that you walk people through yeah. from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Okay, when you open a case, Masiel, how does that? What does that look like? It depends if the children are in foster care or not. Um, if they are in foster care, we have timelines of. 12 to 15 months for a child to be adopted, right? Because we want stability in their life. But if it's a regular case that they just need some hand-holding and just some therapy, it's up to the family. If you have the same situation from the beginning and there's no improvement, we'll keep that case open until we get, if it's regarding safety, right? Because if I go and say, you didn't do your therapy, but you're still beating your wife and you're still having suicidal ideations and you're and you didn't your child is still at risk i cannot in good conscience close this case yeah because there's still dysfunction so so it's really what you do is really life and death and you're mm-hmm. talking people off a ledge so it's really i just want to say how much um how much we appreciate what you do in the marketplace because this is a kingdom work here because people are really are hurting yeah, they're hurting. They're hurting. And, you know, I don't know if Annette's seen this, but I know I've seen this. Mental health, substance abuse, domestic violence has risen significantly absolutely. after the pandemic. Oh, absolutely. Yep. And what you did when you have people locked in a house, mm-hmm. they're dealing with themselves. Yep. And they're dealing with each other. And they're dealing with that dysfunction. And they're you demons. don't have that. And, fear. and they're demons. And mm-hmm. you're not, yep. you don't have that break of going to school. You don't have that break of going to work. You're dealing with the stuff. Yeah. Suicide went up, uh, domestic violence went up, um, overdoses went up, uh, and, and now, the liquor store was open and the gym wasn't. Right. Yeah, and, and we're also dealing with homelessness be because yeah. people now are yeah. in an economic crisis. And yeah. people yeah. are now, home- in the state of New Jersey, we're dealing with such a homeless crisis right now. Um, wow. The majority of our cases are families who are sleeping in cars, sleeping in bank vestibules, or we're getting phone calls about like families who have nowhere to go. Wow. That's difficult. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so within, within what you do, what are some things that you're seeing God do? Because God is moving through you right and and so it may not be the same way as a church service but you're speaking life to people and you're you're giving people hope and you're giving people practical tools or you're giving people state resources or whatever it is but it's in the hope of people getting better so like what are you seeing like what are, what are some what are some things that you're seeing happen that are good because we always talk about like when you talk about like mental health, I can even we talk about ministry. It's just like a disaster after a tragedy, after a testimony, after a disaster, you know. But like, what are you, what are you guys seeing that like God is doing? Like, what do you what do you sense? Um, I see things with very different eyes now that you know I have this relationship with God, and it's just really eye opening. Um, you know. What I've learned is, is that do what Jesus would do. That means have more compassion, have more patience, feed the poor, yeah, yeah. you know? So you, yeah. you do things a little bit differently. Yeah. yeah. And when you're go, you know, there's a particular case where we're dealing with right now where I see the hand of God moving. Like this particular family, the things that just open up, blessing after blessing, like you think you reach the end and then another door opens. And you know, I t- told her, I was like, you know, this is God. And she said, oh, no, I know. Yeah. You know, she didn't realize it, but when I said it, because it was just so, to me, it was so obvious. Apparent, yeah. I couldn't even, like, hold it to be like, I'm like, this is God. Yeah. God let it has, loose. I encourage you, know, you ladies, you know, let it loose. This is God. And she's like, the no, it is. The devil doesn't mind, you know, he's letting it <laughs> yeah, loose. He, yeah, yeah. He came out of the closet, so. So, you know, when it's stuff like that and you see God moving, you know, you just say it, like, do you know this is God, you know, um, you know, sometimes you see that Dyfus is a curse that we are, you know, because we are very 
intrusive, you know, having someone who you don't know knock on your door and ask very personal questions and really dig into the root and we don't let go because we're relentless and we need to know and we need to know and we need to know. Um, they think that we're a burden, but sometimes we're there and we're seeing things not in your crisis, right? Your perception is your reality. Yeah, that's a fact. So when you have a caseworker yeah. go in there, giving you a different perspective. See, that's very interesting. One of the things that I've taught is that sometimes perception is more than reality, and, and I'm not saying that's right. Right. But I'm saying that sometimes perception means more than reality. Let's just say someone is choking or dying, and there's a doctor next to them, and they don't want to be touched. They don't. They're like, leave me alone someone there could really have the power to help you and and like save your life but if you don't acknowledge and recognize who they are and discern who they are you'll miss it and so like perception is really huge as it relates to ministering to people and speaking into their life where they can then respond and and knowing like you're saying what you're saying for their well-being even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't feel good but it's to help them get well and it may not feel well when you're telling them that, but that that's ultimately um, that's ultimately what you're doing. You know, speaking life to people. So, yeah. um, what do you, what what are some things that you're seeing, uh, Annette? I'm seeing like um, people have hope. They're able to see, you know, their situation through a different perspective. Through a, you know, once they work through it. Um, they can understand that maybe this is a temporary situation and then they can, as they see themselves feeling better, it helps them to see things differently. So kind of, um, I think the coping strategies and then having that support system, having someone just to listen to them helps them maybe not feel as alone um, or as hopeless. And then giving them those tools that they can use on their own, too. Cool. Do you guys enjoy what you get to do? Like, does it, does it, like, I know it's tiring, but is this something that you enjoy? I mean, I do. I knew I wanted to be, I thought I wanted to be a teacher, and I thought I wanted to be a social worker when I was a kid. And now I'm a school counselor, which is pretty much that combination. And I'm a family therapist. Um, I love to see families thriving. So, you know, even if it's not solving every issue, it's really amazing when you hear the parents say, thank you, you know, this is, I've seen my child do so much better since they've been working and, you know, in the therapy. And I'm grateful to be a part of it. I'm grateful to God to give me that position to be a part of it. That's awesome. What about you, Maceo? Honestly, sometimes no and sometimes yes. That's cool. Um, I appreciate that. That's what we were looking for here. We're not. We're not <laughs> uh, there's yeah. sometimes that I say I, I, I'm about done. Yeah. Because the amount of. Um, and this goes into our next question. Yeah. Compassion fatigue. Yeah. So the, the amount of like stress and, you know, dealing with crisis because we're dealing with people like it's like a police officer who goes into an active. shoot. It's like constantly that multiple families long hours so sometimes you're just empty cooked yeah Yeah. and you know but my dad always said you know your secular job is preparing you for the kingdom and that kind of gives me a different perspective yeah one of the things we've always said is that if you're faithful in your job you'll enter into your work Mm. and so there you know you see that principle with elisha he's tending his father's oxen you see with uh david He's watching his father's sheep. Then he's bringing his brother's cheese. And so he's doing something in the natural that is preparing him for his assignment in the spiritual. And the natural, I used to be a plumber. And I'm still dealing with crap. Right. Right. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's it's in that, in that, um, let me ask you this, because I went through, I mean, you're dealing with multiple traumatic situations like i'll give you the other day i'll give you a 60 second i responded to three of these texts in under a minute one guy is basically telling me he needs one hundred and fifty thousand dollars, like now um another one i sent dk's text and he sends me year because <laughs> we're looking at sneakers and then another guy texts me a video of a guy who's dying of cancer mm. so i'm 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 like 
responding to like you're a guy who's literally rotting to death and another guy who needs like $150,000 right now I'm like I just I just laughed not at the guy dying or the situation but I just was like wow that was a lot for like 60 seconds like and so you in in the ministry and in in, in what you do what you ladies do you really need emotional agility uh, to be able to like go back and forth so I have two final questions for you both the first one is what do you do when you have compassion fatigue and and I asked that question because I went through that where I I survived an earthquake and there was 230,000 people dead in 30 seconds and in the city that I was in there was a hundred thousand people dead and in our neighborhood Every single house was down. Every single person in all of the surrounding houses were dead. And in our house, in Pastor Eddie Francois's house, none of us died. One girl got a gash on her foot. And other than that, everyone was un- totally wow. fine. Wow. There was a guy under a guy named Dufonel. He was under the rubble all night. They pulled him out in the morning. He was fine. Crazy. And it was really supernatural. Mm-hmm. And so when I came home, I was listening to Americans complain and I was just like, and I, like when people are talking, I'm just like, shut up. Like, I'm just so frustrated with them. And then the Lord really dealt with me. Like you're, you're, you have compassion fatigue. And one of the things that I've seen with trauma is it causes people to overreact or underreact. So I was underreacting to people's problems because to them it was a real problem. And to me, I'm like, you haven't seen a real problem. I just came from a real problem and you don't want a real problem. Mm-hmm. But but that was that was because I had compassion fatigue. So how do you navigate that when you hear tragedy after tragedy after tragedy emotionally? How do you process that in faith and not go numb? Like how how do you how do you do that? Uh, I'll be honest, pre Jesus I was kinda going numb and just you know, not really able to be really there. Now I, I see such a difference. I am there and I am there, um, you know, completely. But I, I remind myself that Jesus, like, he's the ultimate counselor. So I give it to him and I pray for the families. I pray for coworkers um, and anyone that sometimes I feel like that too. I'm like, oh, you know, this person may be losing patience with this student or with this child, but they don't understand what that child is going through. Um, So I have to then, you know, kind of repent and just give it to the Lord and pray for that person (laughs) and and continue to pray for the child. Um, I think that's what it is. It leads me even more to Jesus, and I can't do this on my own strength. So it does take that supernatural strength from him. Um, and sometimes it takes some tears too, but we give it to the Lord and give it to the Lord. Good. So tears, prayer, praying for the family, knowing you can't do it in your own strength. Um, Maciel, is there any, anything like, how do you handle compassion fatigue and, and just how do you, um, how do you process it all? When I was pre-Jesus, not good. Um, I got so sick that I was having panic attacks and fainting. Okay, so you see, this this is what I wanted to get at. So what you were doing was you were internalizing the brokenness of of the world. So I think everyone at this table has worn Tim's before. Timberland boots, right? Yeah. So I don't. Do you remember the spray that you put on them? Mm-hmm. Right. Remember that. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the metaphor that I would give like you have to have a coating of spray so that everything doesn't stick to you and um I one of the things that I do and I'll answer that question just for me is that because I'm hearing tragedy after tragedy and one of the things that I've I've said is like ministry is like giving someone a shape up who's about to hang themselves and so you're trying to beautify people with the truth. You're trying to bring encouragement, bring edification, bring correction, bring perspective. And then people are going to go out and hang themselves. 
And so one of the things that I've learned to do is like you're saying, give it to the Lord. Like when I pray, like I release it. And it's like, I care, but it doesn't live inside of me. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. So it's not that I'm numb. It's just that I haven't given that permission to live on the inside of me. And it's it's kind of like I, me and my wife years ago, we, we paid a bunch of debt off. And what I did was I, I opened up an Excel spreadsheet and I took responsibility for the debt. But I said this, I don't, I, I have debt. The debt doesn't have me. It doesn't live in my heart. It lives on this Excel spreadsheet. And, and so it's like, so I'm assuming responsibility for it, but it, I have it. It doesn't have me. And, and that was, that visual was very helpful for me because we're, we're really like, we're dealing with like now, even as I've gotten older, I don't just deal with like people's issues. Like I'll deal with other pastors issues and like people you know and people call me i don't go say oh by the way so and so you know it's it's private but like so you know sometimes you're dealing with like really like stuff and and you know when it's in church you're like church is supposed to be a place of healing and you guys are crazier than the world and you're like what in the world it's like the book of corinthians where the guy's sleeping with his stepmom you're like this is like jerry springer like this is not supposed to be in the house of the lord but you know here that people come to the house of the lord to get healed and you know sick people need to get healed and so it's it's really important so yeah i just wanted to say that uh number one we as a pastor and as someone who cares about god's people i have just a lot of respect for what you ladies do because i know I know the wear and tear, you know, I I know that it's not, it's beyond money. Like it's, it's, you have a burden in your heart and yes, you get paid. You should get paid. I hope you get paid well. Um, but, but it's, it's beyond that. It's a, it's a burden. And so there's like, you know, it's like your pastors in the marketplace. I mean, that's, that's just bottom line. That's what you're doing. You're, you're pastoring people. You're speaking life to them. You're, you're trying to create safe boundaries for them. I mean, it's, it's literally the work of, of a pastor and I, so I just wanted to say that we have a lot of uh, love and respect for you guys and for what you do for people so there's that but I also wanted to open it up like if there's anything that you want to say specifically to maybe the mental health crisis that is upon us because you, you guys are very prophetic people both of you I know you I know that and I know that God puts prophetic people in the world to speak his heart and his mind to people and one of the things that i find is the most underrated and underappreciated thing about prophetic people is that a real prophetic person is almost always offering an alternate perspective so you have the prophetic like oh you know the lord says you know you're gonna meet mr right you know or the lord says there's a baby coming or you know you have all that, and I think that's great, and God, I'm all for that. But the the most underrated, underappreciated, and underperceived manifestation of the prophetic ministry is God offering someone an alternate perspective, which is literally one of the things you guys get paid to do, which mm-hmm. is, I think that's great. Mm-hmm. So with the crisis that you've seen in the last few years— like, what would you want to say to, like, Christians who have a desire to help people and get involved in getting healthy themselves, but also being able to help others? See, what I, what I find is that if you're not willing to let the Lord do the work in you, the work is not going to be sustainable through you. You might be able to engage a little bit. You might be able to get some wins under your belt. But unless you really allow the Lord to go deep in you, you won't have that depth to give Mm -hmm. if you don't let him kind of drill, drill and drill and drill and drill and drill until he gets some oil. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, what what would you ladies like wanna say as it relates to the crisis, the time, and then the opportunity? Because there's a great opportunity before us. And and the opportunity I see is that whether we're talking about, you know, the homosexual thing or we're talking about trans or we're talking about depression or 
we're going to get a great chance to pastor all these people. So the people that survive this, right? Because there's people, there's going to there's gonna be people that, that die. You know, that's it. I mean, I hate to say it, but that there are people that are not going to make it. They're not going to make it. And I'm not being negative. I'm just saying that that is, that is a stone cold. It's like people go off to war. Yeah. Not everyone comes home. Right. But the people who come home, how do we how do we help the people? So like mm. from a Christian to a Christian, from a therapist, from a caseworker, uh, what is your official title? Well, right now I'm a field training supervisor. A field training supervisor. So from a therapist to a field training supervisor, what do you have to say to Christians who are wanting the Lord to work in them? but really with the heart of saying, God, do it in me, but help me help people. What, what would you like to say to them? I mean, I would say compassion, you know, having compassion for others, but also being honest, like um, getting that work and, and, and healing done within yourself. And then that can open up even more empathy for others. Completely okay. being honest with maybe experiences that you have had, and then you can maybe have, you know, you will hopefully have the heart of Jesus to, to to go ahead and um, yep. share with others. See, God, what about you, Maceo? Um, let God deal with you first. You're not going to be able to help anyone or guide them in the right direction or give them the advice. If you don't let God deal with you, and I'm talking about that's from personal experience. The person that yeah. I was two years ago is not the person that I am yep. now. The advice, the way that I would guide you two years ago is not the way I'm going to guide you now. But that's, God had to deal with me. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I really appreciate that level of, of transparency. And I think that's really important, like letting God do the work and deal with you. And that, that's people think that oh i'm born again i'm okay i'm good it's like that's yeah, the beginning that's the beginning put, put the seatbelt on you're about to go on a ride yeah yes. yeah yes. exactly you, you see things completely in different eyes because when you see things when you're in the world you're you're not seeing them correctly you're yeah. seeing them jaded you're seeing them with biases you're seeing them in your pers- you're seeing them yeah. totally skewed when you see them from God's perspective. From God's perspective, you're like, whoa, I didn't even know I was this jacked up. Like, yeah, I deal yes. with, I'm dealing with families who are jacked up, but right. I'm jacked up. Right. Yeah. And I need yep. to deal with that. And God needs to deal with me. Yeah, that's beautiful. And also, too, like, practically speaking, the closer you get to the fire, the more the impurities in your life come out. Mm-hmm. And also, too, in, in, in defense of a lot of people, a lot of people didn't have a healthy model. Right. right so so you let's just say you're saved and you have this is why i really appreciate like elders like I, the other day i had um i get a text message and it's a bill for like five thousand something dollars for the heating system in the church so my first gut reaction was i already knew knew what i thought i would want to do but before i made any conclusive decisions immediately i called my pastor and so just knowing how do you respond to things mm-hmm. like that's that's critical but here's 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 what i'm saying with all that i'm that's i'm going somewhere with that like you people need to know that it's okay to ask for help yes and and i think that people in church try to hide and pretend all like things are okay all the time but it's like no like actually things are not okay and everyone else knows that things are not okay, but you're pretending that things are okay. And that and comes it, from pride. Yep. Right? Or just feeling like pride, you know, you can just do it on your own or worried about what, what people, people are think. Gonna yeah, think. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you definitely need to help yourself. You need get, to. You need to well, let God deal let with God you. Let God help like, you before you can I, That's really. something I learned this last year. I'm like, the mm-hmm. conviction that I feel, the things that I say when I talk to someone, and I'm like, oh. God checks me, and I'm mm-hmm. like, and I'm sensitive to that. I'm like, all right, God, let's yep. let, let's dig into this more. Like, give it to me, right? You know, like, give yep. me that discipline because it's coming from a place of good, and there's going to be a good outcome, and I'm just going to be a better person. 
Yeah. And people are going to want to come to me. Yeah. Because I'm coming from a place of love. And of when, love. Yep. And when people ask for your opinion, it's a whole lot more valuable than when you just offer it. Yeah. I learned that. I learned that when I was young, like the more you offer your opinion when it's not asked for, the more you devalue your opinion. It's better to just let them come to you. But one of the things too, because we're talking about, you know, like if we're talking about faith, healing, mental health, we're talking that in the Christian world, that's all within the context of community. So one of the beauties of community is that number one, people rub you the wrong way. So then you find out there's things that are messed up with you that you didn't know because if it's just you and Jesus, you're good. Yeah. When, wait till you get into the real world where people are going to mess with you. Um, the greatest expression of love is not loving your enemy. It's laying down your life for your friends. That's what Jesus said. He said, greater love is no man than this that you would lay down a life for his friends. He didn't say the greatest expression of love was loving your enemies. So sometimes loving people that are close to you but that rub you the wrong way or that don't stick with you like you feel they should, sometimes that, that's a great expression of love. But anyway, on another whole different sermon, um, one of the things that I think that happens in, in the context of the body of Christ when we have healthy relationships is let's just say you're really, you're just dysfunctional. And so you thought that, you know, marriage meant this, or you thought that family was that, or you thought that money was this, and and then you get around someone who's mature, solid, and steady, and you start hearing how they talk. They talk differently, and you're like, oh, okay. And then it starts, you, you know, how you perceive things begins to shift. And so my point is that, in this in the society that we live in with the level of brokenness that is here a lot of people just never had a good model yes and so if you're able to just love on people listen to them but then demonstrate a different way as nt Wright says a different way to be human like people are like oh yeah that works like that makes sense like when you when you look at like we were talking about this the other day with some of us like when you look at the christian worldview it was Isaac, I think, I was talking about this with. Um, the Christian worldview, there's no other worldview that makes sense like the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview, the biblical worldview, makes sense out of every human question. It, it speaks to the desire, the gospel speaks directly to desire for security and significance. You only find that in Jesus. He, you know, you only you only find security in Jesus, and you you only really find significance in following Jesus. And let's think of the like the rich young ruler. We don't know his name, but Peter said yes, and we know Peter's name. History remembers him by a first name basis, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. because he said yes. So it's like, anyway. That was a whole nother thing here. We got to get out of here. We got to backpedal before this podcast, this podcast becomes a hostage podcast. But I, I just want to say that, again, I want to say I appreciate what you ladies are doing. And our hopes is, here's my hope. My hope is that this podcast was a blessing uh, to people and that they share it. Also, my hope is that we can cultivate Christians, disciples of Jesus, who when someone comes to them and says, I'm anxious, I'm depressed, I'm, you know, I'm blah, blah, blah. Well, the first hope is that they would be so solid that people would know that, all right, this is a safe person. Um, so I can at least talk to them. And then second, when they ask them for input, that they would give them the wisdom of God. And like for me as a pastor, when I'm listening to someone, I'm always trying to guide them toward Christ-shaped, Christ-centered, biblical decisions that are in agreement with God's word. So of course there's compassion, but I'm always trying to push toward the direction of Jesus. Yeah. And so so my, my, my heart's desire is to see the disciplines that you ladies have and the uh, skill sets and experience and, and create a way where the average Christian can give wise counsel and prophetic insight that is biblical and accurate and helpful to people. Whether it's a mental health thing, whether it's just life decisions, that, that's what I, what I envision. And I feel like that is going to be the evangelism of this, this, this next wave of 
people coming into the kingdom of God, people looking at you and saying, I trust you, Annette. I trust you, Masio. Here's the situation. Can you speak? You know, can you, what would you do? And, and then you being able to then apply the truths of the gospel into the reality of their perception, desires, uh, choices, and habits. So anyway, that's just my hope uh, that we'll be able to produce, you know, disciples that can really be agents of healing yeah. in Jesus' name. Yes. So. Amen. Yes. Transformation. Any, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any other closing remarks? Just do the work. Don't be afraid to face those things, those, those traumas, those triggers, whatever it is. Um, really be honest with yourself. God knows what they are. He just yeah. wants an invitation that's for you to come. That's powerful. A, an old prophet from you. Texas, an old woman prophet. She's, she's with the Lord now. Her name is Marianne Brown. She used to say, honey, if it ain't in your pot, they can't stir it. <laughs> and so the goal of, of getting healed and getting healthy is you have no trigger point. There is no buttons. You're unoffendable. You love people. And their words and your feelings are not on the same server. <laughs> right. you know, and you can just love people with no strings attached, you know. But, well, any anything else? I mean, I, I mean, I think part of healing is just releasing it to someone. Yeah, having that person that you can trust and talk to and then releasing it and then from there giving it to the Lord. And I feel like then you're going to see that healing and that transformation. So I think that's the ultimate goal of mental health, especially in the Christian format. Yeah. The mind of Christ is mental health. Mm-hmm. And when you face a situation, you always ask yourself and tell yourself, is God a God of disorder? And if he, and he's not. He's not. So right. yeah, it's time to do the work. See, I love my, my CL brings the hammer out. <laughs> as you can tell her dad is a pastor. She's ready to hammer you. But you know what? It's true. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and here's the thing. Whatever thoughts you don't take captive, they're going to take you captive. Mm-hmm. So you have to take every thought captive and make it obedient. And if you don't make it obedient, you're going to live in bondage. And and that's the bottom line. You know, yeah. that I mean, God will not do your part and you cannot do his. So this is a this is a journey. And um to the listeners, we're inviting you into the journey of just healing, letting Jesus bind up the brokenhearted and let him let him go to work on the inside so that he could work through you. So thanks for listening and uh if this was a blessing again, please share it. Adam Lovecki here. On behalf of DK Kim and I, we want to thank you for listening to the Be Transformed podcast. If you found this helpful, please subscribe, share, and review the podcast. Thanks again for listening to Be Transformed.